Today, my interview guest is Mason Harris. You're going to love this show. Mason calls himself the Hutzpah guy. Hutzpah, C-H-U-T-Z-P-A-H. It's key to making decisions. It's key to getting out there and making things happen. The C stands for carpe diem. And I think that's what this is all about. Mason's going to guide us through his thoughts on this. It's a longer interview than normal because I wanted to really give Mason time to think and talk about the things that really mean something to him in this chutzpah conversation. You'll understand it. It's got some selling connotations in terms of how you do things with chutzpah, but actually to me it's about life. It's about building things. It's about getting out there and making a difference. And listen as I talk to him and ask the final question, which is what would he do differently if he had a choice in the future? So actually, listen carefully, enjoy the show, and as always, feel free to come back to me with questions and answers that you think of as you go through this. I can't hold you to account, I always say that, but I can be here as your coach if you need to. But either way, enjoy the show, take lots of notes, learn from it, and pass it on to those who need it as well. Thanks very much. Here's Mason Harris. Welcome back to the Sparks by Ignium podcast. I'm Phil Rose, your host, and today I'm joined by Mason Harris. I first met Mason in Dallas in April 2022 when we were both attending the Scaling Up conference where Vern Harnish was speaking and Mason was on stage speaking as one of the guests at the event. Uh, I saw what he had to say, I heard what he had to say and I saw the reaction the audience had and I thought we've got to get this guy on the podcast at some stage. So Mason has given up his time to be with us today for 45 minutes to talk about what chutzpah really means. Um, so Mason, the chutzpah guy, welcome to the Sparks Bagnian podcast. Well, I thank you, one, for your kind words about my presentation, and two, especially for having me on your on your podcast. You have a global reach. Yeah. You have yeah. clients and followers all over the world. So chutzpah actually is a term that, that has meaning, sometimes with different words, all over the place. It's yeah. not limited, as people say. It's a Yiddish word. Yes, is it a Jewish thing? And my answer is no, it actually has meaning everywhere. Yeah, I love that. And I think you're right, actually, isn't it? Because when you and I talked previously, uh, I asked you how to pronounce it. And I've heard you say it because obviously a lot of people see this word C-H-U-T-Z-P-A-H and think it's chutzpah or, or yeah. some other form of it. So actually this chutzpah is what you, you've told me how to pronounce it. And I heard you on stage do it. So tell me a bit about why chutzpah and what does it mean to you and how did you create that? That chutzpah guy. Sure. But well, first of all, I gotta commend you. You're saying it like like you're a native speaker. <laughs> the, huh, the guttural side is tremendous. And in, in English, the CH can also sound like a K, as in character. Uh, yeah, yeah, it can yeah. sound like a ch as in chai T. Yeah, good point. Yeah. So yeah. it has a number of that, but the, the guttural sound is not natural to us as, as much. So the chutzpah yeah. is difficult. I've seen a lot of people just, well, one, I've seen it spelled without the C as chutzpah. Okay. And I see even with the, the C, sometimes people pronounce it as chutzpah. Yeah. So sometimes I tell people, think of the C as a, well, you're international. You've been to New York. Think yeah. of it as a stop sign in New York. You can ignore it. It's <laughs> a recommendation, but if you're in the mood, just go right through. That's, that's what we New Yorkers do. I love it. I love it. And, and, and we'll, you know, this piece about New York, we'll come on to that in a minute because I want to ask you some questions about your your experience in Queens and growing up. Um, uh -huh. tell me, how, did, how did you come up with this, this chutzpah and what was it that inspired you to, to create the chutzpah guy? And also, we need to talk about your book as well, The Chutzpah Advantage and what that means. So tell me a bit about the, the backstory behind this because I think there's some fascinating pieces in there I think listeners would love to hear. Sure. There is, growing up, 
uh, I learned uh, as, as a youngster and then through school that certain people seem better at accomplishing things, mm-hmm. getting more of what they wanted, being more persuasive and having in selling their ideas. And this could have been even in college in different committee meetings. Some people stood up and and advocated for their ideas in a better way. Mm-hmm. And most of the time, people think in terms of, well, they were probably extroverts. And because they were extroverts, they were able to uh, outspeak or yeah. talk louder than the next guy. Yeah. Many of the introverts probably weren't saying anything anyway. And I accepted that initially, but then I realized that that was wrong because over the course of time, I realized people who self-identify as introverts also have chutzpah. Frankly, Mm -hmm. a lot of leaders of major corporations come from fields like uh, accounting or finance, where you don't think in terms of, oh, that's the brash salesperson who's the extrovert. It's somebody who's more quiet, who's more introspective, but their chutzpah is equally as great and strong yeah. as somebody who's extroverted. So for me, I realized that there's got to be more than extroversion, uh, extroverted versus introverted yeah. or an ambivert if you're right in the middle, which is actually I've taken an assessment and that's where I fall into. To put it uh, which, together, that's interesting. And, okay. And actually, I think most of us fall into that area because we have the ability to adapt. Mm. Some meetings were fine sitting back. We're not the leaders and the leader who's leading is doing a good enough job. We don't have to. Yeah. Uh, uh, to come in and fill some shoes. Yeah. Other meetings, you can see this is floundering. We don't have a lot of time left, but I need to get something done. So I'm going to take a little bit more control. I'm going to try and steer the direction, get off this meaningless stuff, and let's accomplish what yeah. we're here for. Yeah, yeah. Let's do. That's interesting. So that Hutzpah thing was actually from an early age, you could see there was something else that people had that enabled them to step up and do things differently. Uh, so, 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 yes. So, so here's a question. A lot of people out there will be listening and hearing saying, well, what's, what's Hutzpah mean? Because we can all look in the, Dixford, in, in the dictionary and, you know, if I look at on my bookshelf here, I've got the Oxford English Dictionary over there. And I haven't done this, but if I was to look in there to find the definition, I'd find multiple definitions of what it means. So, so what does Hutzpah mean to you? What's the, what's the phraseology you use? Well, this is one of the situations where I have to turn it around and ask you. But I will say this. In my research, I found easily 40 definitions 40 synonyms uh, that some were very close, some weren't. Some talked about the negative aspects or the destructive side of chutzpah. Some spoke about the constructive side of chutzpah. And we'll have a chance to talk about that too. Uh, But what is chutzpah or chutzpah to you? That's interesting. Good good question. Love turning around, actually. um, You'll do well as a coach in that case. Um, So so I think for me, it's it's about determination. It's about, I use the word grit. And you and I talked about, you know, I think grit is something that really comes in there. Um, it's about perseverance, getting stuff done. It's about um, it's about hard work sometimes, yeah. but I think you can achieve things with with with, with less. Not, I about to say less hard work by having more chutzpah. But I think it's about it's about getting up and doing stuff, having um, yeah. having the, the the ability to stand up and say, "I'm going to go and do it, whatever." I was going to say something else there, but actually, you know, having, having, having the balls to do something. That's why. Okay. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's, that's used a lot in describing chutzpah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Because it implies that, oh, I'm courageous enough or confident enough. I'm going to go against the grain. Yeah. 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 So yes, that's, that is absolutely a good word to use too. And when I realized in researching um, people's definitions, 
that, well, if I take 40 plus of these synonyms and descriptions and try and turn that into a book, nobody will remember a thing that I said. Not. And the lessons will be lost. So instead, I used the letters of the word chutzpah. Okay. And looked at eight key behaviors and characteristics. Yeah. To make a model that's memorable. So somebody who's in a situation, in a meeting or contemplating a job change or moving to another city or even whether or not to go on to college, which for some people is actually an act of chutzpah. If nobody in your family has any higher education and you're the first one to do that and people are saying, why are you doing that? Come work with me in the, in the middle of the retail store. You'll start making money. It takes chutzpah to say, no, I see a different future for myself, yeah, even yeah. though it means I'm postponing um, gratification, money, income, and uh, and a lot more fun going out with my friends by going on and, and taking a hard course of study. I'm right. going to do it. That's interesting. So, so, that's so something about, well. Yeah, and I love that going against the grain, coming up with an idea. So, so in some ways... You know, if we think about the, the listen to this podcast, a lot of them are entrepreneurs, a lot of them are founders of, of organizations or leaders in organizations. They, they have to have done something different. They've had to go against the grain. And I wonder whether, you know, if you think about entrepreneurs, um, a lot of entrepreneurs are those ones who see, see, a, see an opportunity and make it happen. Yes. And actually, a lot of what I what motivated me was as an entrepreneur, yeah. And working and working with fellow entrepreneurs and EO and around the community, yeah. I realized that this is a different class of people. These people all have chutzpah. Mm. Now the question is, are they stronger in some of these characteristics versus others? Yeah. That's so that's what led to the model. But we think about it, chutzpah has been around since the beginning of time, since the beginning of, of humankind. It's uh, we can think of every great accomplishment and it's it's uh, global. Mm. Although chutzpah itself is a, I believe, a Yiddish word. Okay. There's a word, a, a Finnish word, sisu, S-I-S-U. Right. That if you look that up, the definition, you'll say, hey, you know, this is a pretty good definition of chutzpah too. But it's, um, who knew that, that they spoke Yiddish in Helsinki? I never would have guessed that, right? So clearly they don't. All of our cultures, recognize people and actions that stretch boundaries yeah. that lead to either, I mean, you can certainly fail, but also lead to major changes. Yeah. I sometimes ask people, I had fun with this. I ask people, what's, what are some of the earliest recorded moments of, of chutzpah in humankind you can think of? Okay. Okay. Huh? That's an interesting one. And it's a tough question. Yeah. And I'll have people talk about, uh, the early explorers. If they're yeah. if they're biblical, they'll say, well, that would be Adam and Eve. You basically yeah. had an authority figure saying, don't go near that apple. Yeah. Don't eat That's... the apple. Um, I, I tend to think uh, in terms of uh, man's learning to manage fire. Because we think about humankind. Yeah. The, nobody developed fire. Lightning hits a tree. Yeah, yeah. And, and all happens. of the, the the humans at the time gather around. They're curious once they think that, oh, maybe I'm okay. And yeah. they they feel the heat. They see the light. Yeah. And when I think of who is the first person to stick his hand in that, get burnt and say, oh, and everybody else laughs at him as if they were at a college fraternity party going, ha, ah, he always does the dumb crap. 
right? Um, and then his partner, I'll say, um, wife wouldn't have worked at the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm assuming a heterosexual relationship here. I get that. But she realizes, wait a second. It's the wood that's burning. I wonder if I pick up the piece of the wood that's not burning if I'm okay. Yeah, yeah. So she reaches in, picks that up, and then ooh, suddenly she's got a torch, yeah. which they take back to their cave. And I tend to think of it as a nice one-bedroom cave overlooking the plains. And now they have a source of heat, yeah, yeah. defense against wild animals, nice. and eventually cooking. And then the first entrepreneur probably evolved from that, the guy who brought out sticks and started selling fire to his neighbors. I so, love it. I love it. If we think about any of these major events, yeah, and it's not all about companies and entrepreneurs, it's historical, it's political, yeah. it's what led to life changes. Yeah. The printing press was yeah. an act of cuts. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Very few people read. Yeah. It's, so, it's interesting when you when you say that, you're right. I'm just writing that down because I think those events in history is somebody who does things differently. So uh, I mentioned before I was in uh, I was in LA recently and we went up to the Griffiths Observatory, which I love going up there to see across LA. But I also love it from a point of view of exploring the planets to see what else is out there. Yes. And you just have to look at some of the technology that was created in the past to examine the planets. And you look at some of the people like Galileo who had that view of what they could do differently, and those people who stood up and said, "No, the world's not like this. The sun doesn't go around the Earth. The Earth goes around the sun," and they were held up as a heretic for that doing that same right. thing. And I think there's something there. Madman, yeah. Yeah, madman for doing it. So, and, and, you know, having been in the US, Columbus, you know, getting on a ship and, and, and sailing yes. across the ocean, you know, landing on Plymouth Rock. It's all those things, actually, that's people who do things differently, who step out yes. and, and do it. And, you know, we talk in, in leadership about having leaders and followers. And, and often a leader is really good at creating followership by getting people on there because they've got this guiding light. We often talk about a North Star in, in, a, in the sense of, you know, what's your guiding light? What's the thing that can get you there? I use the word purpose more often than not. But actually, that's those guys who have got that purpose and say, we're going to sail across that flat earth because we believe there's something else across the horizon. And it's interesting your use of the word purpose. I mentioned that each of the letters of chutzpah stands for one of the key behaviors. Yeah. The P stands for purpose. Got it, got and, it. And uh, I share why that's so critical for chutzpah. Yeah. And something else you said about leaders uh, motivating, uh, inspiring their followers to do things. There's another characteristic of leadership in my mind, and that is to take the chutzpah they have and move it into the culture of their team. Yeah, I love it. Because yeah. having it for yourself is great, but creating a team, a company yeah. of people with chutz, but people who are willing to take risks yeah. to step up in a meeting and challenge somebody else in a nice way and say, look, I think there's a better approach that we have That's instead of sitting back. That yeah. makes companies. Yeah. That saves companies. Uh, I read recently... Um, uh, we're all familiar with Blockbuster. Mm. Did you have Blockbuster in the UK? Yeah, yeah, we did. I've, I've still got my Blockbuster card because I use the Blockbuster card as an example of a business that got it wrong. Okay, very good. Well, then then uh, <laughs> I, I think that's something you should hold on to. That's something that <laughs> one should pass on to one's children and grandchildren. So don't, don't get rid of that. That's funny, but, yeah. Okay, so I read something recently about Blockbuster. We all know that 
they made some some errors in not seeing that the business was changing dramatically mm. uh, and uh, streaming was going to be the better way to go. They had moved, I believe, to a slight subscription basis, but most of their clients were still one and done. They'd rent and they'd return. Yeah. And when it came time for them to truly evaluate what this startup company Netflix was doing, this is pre-streaming. Netflix yeah. had the thought of streaming, is my understanding. Yeah, they did. But what they did was a subscription basis, and they did something that, that Blockbuster would never consider. There were no late fees in mm -hmm. their service. Okay. Well, Blockbuster, when faced with the thought of pivoting, were really changing the dynamic of their company. They yeah. were a retail store and they needed to become a technology company. Yeah. They had the resources. They were the leader probably worldwide. Certainly in the US, you couldn't go 100 feet without another Blockbuster store. Yeah. There was yeah. always one there. And what I read was that the board of directors opposed the idea of even testing or fooling with the streaming concept. And the reason was apparently something like 11 or 12% of all of Blockbuster's multi-billion dollars in revenue came from late fees. Wow, okay. So That's they were worried about the short-term impact of losing late fee revenue, Yeah. Which, which was pure margin. I understand why you'd want to hold on to that. Yeah. But there are enough lessons throughout history in, in small and big corporations about people yeah. saying, I'm going to focus on the short term. And then they suddenly find themselves without a company. Yeah. And they then lost their lead. Technology took over and they could not come back. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's I mean, a fascinating story, actually, that. And I think you're right. It's someone who's who's not got that vision of what could be in the future. And also, you know, Blockbuster and Netflix had conversations uh, and actually, one was looking to buy the other, and they said no. Right. That's, yeah. Different visions. Yeah, different visions, exactly. Different different visions from different position. Um, so let's talk through these eight steps. I think this is the key bit here. So I think if you think about what those eight steps are, the, the C-H-U-T-Z-P-A-H, why don't we go through those and just, just find out a bit more about them? Because I think there's some fascinating pieces in there. So, um, Sure. Well, let's start at the beginning. Uh, let's start with the C, yeah. first letter in the word chutzpah. And this takes us back to, uh, and it also shows that that chutzpah is not new. Yeah. It has been around forever. Okay. So if we think back to our high school Latin, if we stayed awake through our high school Latin, <laughs> Latin classes, uh, there's a phrase uh, for seize the day, seize yeah. the opportunity. Can't and it's think. carpe diem. Love it. And that's the first characteristic of chutzpah some people when they learn of an opportunity or they they're innovative and they think of something say you know this is too good to not move on or they even learn of a new job uh, in a newer faster growing company they might say to themselves because chutzpah is everybody it's not just for entrepreneurs anybody can have chutzpah you can mm. work for somebody in a chutzpah mm. They think to themselves, ooh, but I'm safe here and I've got some seniority and I've got some vacation coming up and I haven't put my resume together. I'm going to pass on applying for this. Yeah, yeah. So that would be the anti-carpe diem. Yeah. That's not about seizing the day. Yeah. Now, the other key element of seizing the day, it's not about a one and done. 
It's like, oh, I made this, I made this move once. I asked the perfect uh, girl to the prom in high school, and that's the person I married. Wonderful. But what have you done since? So we yeah, the can, flat line. We all, right, it's a flat line. We all have these capabilities, these behaviors, these characteristics within our reach, mm -hmm. but we're accustomed to them. Some of them do them very well. When we start doing them automatically, is when we start, you don't have to think about, ooh, should I take this risk? So Carpe Diem, I'll give you an example. Yeah. This is uh, actually a woman by the name of Barbara, early 20s, all through school. Um, she was considered the slow one, the dumb one. Uh, she actually, and it had not been diagnosed, uh, had dyslexia. So learning was a different challenge for her. She wasn't dumb. She wasn't behind, mm. but the teachers never quite understood what was going on. And therefore, she became the object of ridicule. By the time she was in her early 20s, uh, she'd had, as she describes it, 20 plus jobs. Uh, she uh, was in real estate, uh, office work, uh, working uh, as a server in a restaurant. This particular time, uh, she was working as a waitress. And her boyfriend at the time said, you know, you always talk about how you like real estate, how you think you could do a good job. You don't yeah. have the money. I'm going to spot you some money to start the company. And I will own, I think it was $1,000, maybe 10000 but it might have been 1000 um, but no more than 10000 And said, and because I'm the, the money guy, I have, I have uh, half the company and you have half the company because you're the okay. operations person. Yeah. She, without hesitation, says, this is great. I'm going to start working in real estate. I'm going to make some sales. I'm going to hire some people, move into an office. That was the the, the plan you could fit onto the napkin there at the uh, diner that she was working in. Uh, well, she accomplishes that. The years go past. She's making sales right and left. She hires people. She trains them. She motivates them. Yeah. They move into an office. This is in New York City. And real estate, for the most part, is a very male-dominated field at the time, okay. particularly commercial real estate. Well, 10 years in, everybody, I mean, the company's grown. They have, I think, 14 employees. Uh, the boyfriend surprises her. Uh, and basically, it's, uh, Barbara, I have some news. I've fallen in love with the receptionist. And I'm going to marry her. However, we can keep the company going, if you'd like, or we can split it up. Okay? Here's where Carpe Diem comes into play again. Okay. She said, we're splitting it up. Okay, I'm not going to work with you. I don't trust you as my business partner uh, right now uh, after, after this. So uh, they decide who's going to take what employees, what clients at the time. They create two companies. But his parting words to her is, you know, you're never going to make it without me. Uh, well, are you familiar with Barbara Corcoran by any chance of Shark Tank or Corcoran? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That's Barbara. That is... That is the barber we're speaking about. Wow. Love it. Okay. So, so she's a great illustration, lifelong, yeah. of doing things. Not just saying, well, that's a good idea, but I'm going to put it off. Yeah. Or I need to re research it to death. Yeah, do it. She, she, she moved. And she made her errors. Yeah. Everybody makes errors. When you make a lot of decisions, you can't, you can't have a thousand batting percentage. Yeah. So I love that's that first one. I love that. Okay, I love that. So we've got Carpe Diem, and, uh, and I come back to that point. Whenever I hear the word Carpe Diem, I just can't help think about Dead Poet Society and Robin Williams. So we'll, we'll put that one aside. Oh, that's but right. That still comes to my mind. Um, it's funny. It's funny you mention that because in my book, there is a quote 
from Robin Williams and Dead Poet Society. Yeah, and I still love it. I still hear his voice in my head, that Carpe Diem. Yes. Carpe Diem. Yes. Uh, great one. So, uh, so and movie... that was a serious role for too. Yeah, it was. You know, that was a great one. I still think it's a great film. I haven't watched it for a long time, but I think that's one of the, one of his best films. He produced many good films, but that was one of them. So, yes. uh, yeah, rest his soul. Um, so let's go on to the next one. Okay, so, so next, H, Handling Objections. H. Okay, yes, it's called Handling Objections. So let's think. From the day we're born, we have needs, and we express those needs. As a, uh, a baby who can't speak, it's through crying. Uh, and sometimes we get those needs met immediately, sometimes we don't. One thing I've learned is that we all handle objections on a very regular basis, at home and at work. And some of us are just better at handling those objections yeah. than others. To me, it's, it's fundamental communication skills that aren't necessarily taught. So, for example, if you try and handling an objection by speaking over somebody, you're probably going to fail. That's an easy one. It's the old expression, um, are you listening to respond or are you listening to understand? Yeah. Too yeah. often people listen... People are listening to respond. Well, you need to listen to understand if you have any chance at handling objections. Yeah. Now, salespeople are actually trained in this skill. Listening, repeating back what it is they heard so that people are aligned. And yes, no, you missed something important here. Okay, good. I'm glad you corrected me on that. So as I understand it, this is what we're talking about. Yeah. From there, you have a foundation for moving forward potentially because now you know what you need to overcome in the objection. And if it's a misconception, well, no, I wouldn't use you because I don't believe your product uh, has as good a warranty as your competitors. Okay. And it's like, okay, so if I'm listening to you correctly, your concern is warranty after the initial period, right? Because yes, that's what it is. Well, then you'll be pleased to learn that actually our warranty is equivalent, but we also have an extended warranty. Yeah. So uh, we can work with you on that. When you get a full set of objections, you can move forward. The mm -hmm. most difficult thing about selling or persuasion, well, let's keep it on selling because we're talking about that now, Yeah, is people basically have a natural tendency to stay where they are. It's not perfect, yeah. Yeah. but the hassle of moving, of making a decision, yeah. of letting others in your company know that you did what and why, only for this, that's crazy. Yeah. So one has to overcome objections and create value sufficient for people to get off of their inertia, yeah. to move from their, their status. And the bit I hear there is the creating value. Of, mm -hmm. Yeah, bit, creating yeah, value is a value part. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And in handling objections, if you're not successful at creating value, you're not going to overcome the objection. Now, the best salespeople... Uh, or the best communicators already have a sense of some of the objections that are coming that way. And they can at times during a conversation, even head off that objection by covering. So if you believe that um, uh, every salesperson who goes into a meeting and doesn't expect a price objection is probably needs to go back to selling school. Yeah, get back to the beginning. Because price obje objections are almost universal. Yeah. So you can wait for the price objection 
which is like the prospect putting a stake in the ground, you're priced too high. Or by addressing it earlier and mm -hmm. creating the value in what you're doing, you're saying, you know, I've spoken to you about our service, 24 hours guaranteed. I've spoken to you about these additional uh, needs of yours that we can handle through our software, yeah. software or through our equipment, uh, whatever it is that you have. Um, and this leads to a better solution. Yeah, yeah. And which also was why you're going to find we're priced a bit higher than the competition. Yeah, yeah. and you put out there yeah. up, front, up front. You put it out up front, but you've also created the value as to why you're higher. So yeah. if they do come in and they raise price again, you can say, well, yes, you're comparing us to somebody who doesn't provide 24-hour service for your office machines, yeah. as an example. Yeah. Okay. So that's what, in essence, part of the difference of what you're paying for. Yeah. You're also paying for R&D, newer technology, whatever it is. Yeah. If you're good and you anticipate the objections, you're ready for them, or you can kind of minimize them through your presentation or through the conversation. Yeah. And, and I guess that comes into this next piece, doesn't it? So just looking at the list here, the, the, the next bit, the you in Hutzpah, the understanding needs, because I think if we talk a bit about that, because I think they come really closely together. The handling objections, yes. then understanding needs, you've got to understand needs, because if you understand that, you can flip it and understand the objections that might come out as a result of that as well. So, so I wonder whether we just dive into that as a, as a segue to, to think about the understanding of needs at this point. A hundred percent. And it does lead into it because understanding need, pain and opportunity is yeah. the next of those characteristics. And when you start understand, and, and there are differences, Okay. Um, everybody has needs, but as I said, we may not choose not to act on them because they're not critical enough. Right. I, you know, I could use a new car, but I don't need it right now. Mm. Well, what if it stops twice when you're taking the kids to school and you have to call a tow truck yeah. and you start worrying about whether or not you're going to have a problem down the road. I'm using this example. It's actually real life. I was working with a woman who was uh, describing she had an older car and that she's been having a problem with it. And I knew that she had three young children. Yeah. Uh, and I said, what have you done? He goes, well, I'm, my husband says he can fix it at some point, but I really don't think he can. But I'm going to hold off. And I offhandedly said, you take the kids to school. Have you ever had an issue where the car has stopped while you were driving? You were in traffic. Mm. You haven't been able to start it to get home. She said, yeah, but not for a while. Well, within a week, she had a different car. Love it. And, and what happened was, and I wasn't selling but I was trying to understand what her need was and then what the potential pain would be Yeah, if, yeah. if worst case scenario happened. Yeah. And I think that's the fascinating piece, isn't it? Because once you understand the need and, you know, whether you're in sales or whether you're creating a business, actually you've got to understand the needs of the customers and, and there's got to be a pain big enough that they're willing to move away from to do something about. Um, yes. I, I look at my dog, I, I've got a dog and the dog's here and often the dog will not move. It will lay on the most uncomfortable place because it's just too lazy. It, it's just, you know, there's no, the pain's not big enough for it to move along. Whereas right. if you find a human being, they'll be sitting up, they'll move straight away, but the dog's just lazy. It doesn't have any real need to move apart from being fed, walked and played with occasionally. And I think sometimes That's, humans become like that. Well, and I'd say even companies, it's a great yeah. analogy. We get very comfortable sitting where we are. Look, 
I'm satisfied and I'm doing well. Why should yeah. I try something different? Yeah. Well, the reason you have to try something different is because your competition isn't sleeping. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So they are. And by the way, the opportunity side, because it used to be uncovering need and pain, which is critical for creating value. Yeah. The opportunity arose because sometimes you find different opportunities that don't even arise from a recognized need. Now, what I mean by this is uh, when Starbucks first opened up a hmm. uh, couple decades back, I had no trouble getting coffee. Yeah. I could yeah. find coffee at, at a number of places. Yeah. But I didn't have the consistency. Yeah. And I didn't have the uh, benefit of drinking coffee in a cup that I felt good about because of the brand. So they uncovered two needs. One was consistency. Well, actually multiple needs, but consistency. Uh, storefronts all over the, the country as they expanded quickly. Yeah. But also the idea, because Starbucks well, used to be considerably higher than what I was paying for coffee at the local convenience store. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So why would I make the switch for something that I considered pretty much, you know, this there's not much difference between one versus another. Yeah, coffee, well, coffee. I did like their taste, but I, I don't know that I was justifying it for that. Part of it was that they positioned themselves as the luxury brand. Mm. You know, our, our friend Vern Harness used to talk about this. They positioned themselves as the luxury brand, but unlike a Rolls Royce, they were the affordable luxury. Yeah. So they were the top of the coffee food chain. Yeah, yeah. For a little bit more, we could all be driving that Rolls Royce, yeah. sipping the best, the top of the coffee. I love that. And that's just interesting. That's created that opportunity. Yeah. I love that as a story because, you know, look, looking at the way Starbucks comes about, and, you know, now you and I go out and there's coffee shops everywhere. But when Starbucks was created in the same way we had in the UK, coffee shops didn't exist in the same way they are now. They've been around right. for hundreds of years in the UK, literally. But actually not to that same degree. You know, we had tea shops doing the same things, but actually it's come up with a brand that stands out there. So actually, right, understanding the pain and the need, but actually looking at the characteristics, what the customer wants, helps you create that better business idea in the first place. And then they saw this opportunity to be different, to not just sell coffee yeah. from a restaurant or a diner in a to-go cup, yeah. but to make that the focus of what you were doing. Yeah. And so I guess that, that was the opportunity they saw first. Yeah. So I guess that, that, that I'm going to segue into the next piece in that case, because I think there's a clear segue and I can see how you built this up now. having looked at the list in front of me because um, once you understand the needs, once you understand the objections, you've then got to do something about it. So talk about the T because I think this, this links into it really nicely. Sure. Well, well thank you. These, I hadn't been thinking about it as the links. I see them as eight separate pieces, but now I see, Hey, I, I'm going to need your help on my next book, but Give me a call. that it does. It does follow. Yeah. Okay. So the T stands for trailblaze. Yeah, yeah. So when I think about what is a trailblazer, people will say, well, they're the ones willing again to stretch boundaries, to go places people haven't gone before, uh, to try things. Well, the other definition in my mind is somebody who is willing to risk failure or derision, yeah. uh, insults, laughter, because yeah. their ideas are so different. They go, they, they are disruptors. Yeah. So that's key. let's that's think, key. think of a good story on the trailblazing side. 
I don't know if you have some, but but I've got one that might fit. Yeah, go for and, it. I, I've got a couple I'm thinking okay. actually, but go for it from what your angle is there. Go for it. Okay. So we think about uh, okay, uh, about twenty years ago, I think it was uh, at a uh, business conference in Paris. Mm. Uh, global conference. There are people from all over. Two people, successful entrepreneurs, had sold their companies. They had a good deal of money. I think mm. you have a sense for where this one might be going because you're because you have so much business knowledge. Yeah, yeah, and, I know. Yeah. They go outside from the conference and they're trying to hail a cab to get back to their hotel, but there's a snowstorm mm. and cabs are nowhere to be found. Or if they're on the street, they're already occupied. Yeah. It's not like oh, I can easily get a cab. And they think to themselves, God, you know, we all have these things called cell phones. Why can't we just get a cab from our phone instead of having to be out here trying to hail something in a snowstorm? Yeah, yeah. And that was the genesis. That was the birth of the concept for Uber cab, yeah, yeah. which they dropped the cab and became Uber. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's interesting, actually, because I think there's a there's another piece of that story, which I think is really key as well, because... What they also, what, what Travis, um, I can't remember his name, surname now, what Travis recognized at that point in time when they were creating that was something else as well. The frustration you and I have waiting for a cab is, will it turn up? Where is it? How long do I have to wait here? Has it missed me? I'm stood on the street corner. Whereas what they said is actually, let's develop an app where you can track where the driver is. The driver can correspond with you straight up. So we understand the biggest need that people have about cabs is, where's the driver? When's he going to be here? Because if you know where they're going to come up here and we can track them, you're almost gamifying it, but you had to step out and do something different about it. So I think there's something there in terms of that trailblazing, come up with an idea that actually other people follow now. We look about parcel delivery companies. Some get that right as well, where you can track your parcel. Your parcel is three stops away from you now. The parcel is two stops away from you. Uber, the guys who got out there and started doing that in the first place. So I love that as a story. It's a nice, nice piece, actually. Love that trailblazing. And then if we even think about... Uh... You know, the carpe diem. They thought of the idea. They put together the business plan. They raised money. Yeah. Handling objections. Can you imagine the objections coming at them? And that came out when they were raising, when they were speaking with yeah. the private equity folk. It's like there are taxi and limousine commissions in every state, in every major city around the world. They're not going to allow you to compete. Yeah. That's their bread and butter. They make fees off of this. Yeah. You have to get past the legal side. You have to get um, certified. You need to have medallions if you're in New York City. You'll never be able to reach the level you want. Yeah. Um, as far as the uncovering need, pain, and opportunity, they saw an opportunity because mm. they understood the pain of standing outside in a snowstorm in Paris. Yeah. yeah. So and I think the other bit that comes, the bit that comes back to me as well, when you talk about Carpe Diem, because I then come back to Nike's Just Do It. Because I think Carpe Diem and Nike, same thing in that sense. Yes. And actually, what they did was they said, let's just do it. Let's find a way. And I think that's the big piece about those trailblazers. Those, those chutzpah guys have that ability to say, just do it. What's yeah. the worst that can happen? We'll learn some lessons. We might yeah. fail, but we'll learn some lessons on the way. And I think there's something there about finding other ways of doing it as well. So that trailblazing, getting out there, creating the, creating the, the, the view. And, you know, when I fear of trailblazing, I think of pioneers. And you right. and I, we were talking earlier about me coming back from California. Last time I was in California four years ago, we decided to do another trip through Death Valley. And I love Death Valley for lots of different reasons. But the guys who cut across Death Valley in the 1800s in their wagons, they were trailblazers. They were heading, yes. they were heading west trying to find stuff. Yeah. And they had to get across that place. So, and if you hear the story of what happened through Death Valley, 
you realize those trailblazers are the ones who were the real pioneers heading yes. for the, the land out there beyond where they were. So I think there's something and about you know, that pioneering spirit. And they still exist today. Let's look at SpaceX and Elon Musk, yeah. right? And now it's a different type of pioneering, but when yeah. you are the first to say, hey, why do we need governments to build uh, rockets hmm. that we can do it more efficiently? We can build reusable rockets. Yeah, yeah. Right? And And... Now we have the billionaires club with, okay, who's going to be the first one yeah, to, yeah. let's all get our own rockets up there. Well, there's uh, Jeff, so, or Jeff or Elon together. Right. And then even on a smaller side, I've always said that um, the person, uh, my, my family, by the way, my parents are immigrants. They came from Eastern Europe to the U.S. Okay. Okay. So in our case, we were all fortunate. We went to college here and actually even advanced, uh, I have a graduate degree. But I knew a lot of people who, whose families, nobody had ever gone on to college and they were reluctant to make the decision. Well, the person in a family that is the first to go to college is a trailblazer, sets an example for others, sets yeah. a path, yeah. does all those chutzpah characteristics we've spoken about. Mm -hmm. So again, you don't have to be an Elon Musk with SpaceX. You don't yeah. have to be a, a pioneer in the yeah. 1800s, although they certainly were trailblazers yeah. too. Actually, uh, you don't have to found um, Uber. Yeah, You can be a trailblazer in everyday life as well. Yeah. And I think there's a big thing around that, isn't it? Because a lot of people think they can't do it. And I, I one of the books I've got up on my, my bookshelf there is uh, uh, from a guy who unfortunately is dead now, but actually it was it was a, uh, a book all around just getting up there. And, and he talked about being, you know, it was all the yes butters around us. Uh, and what Clive got talked about in there is, you know, there's lots of yes, but yes, we could do that, but it won't work. Or yes, but we tried it before. And sometimes you've got to just go up against that and say, yes, but it could work. Yes, but it could. And I think there's something there about, you know, let's just give it a go. And I think from my point of view, it's a, I, I, I'm always looking at those things of what else can we do differently? It's a great point about the, the but being what interrupts things. If somebody was there and had, say, at that, that meeting with a blockbuster, yeah. you know, we could go in that direction, but then we're going to lose uh, a significant amount of our profit because yeah. we won't have late fees. Yeah. If someone had said, well, can't you do something? Can you tie them in and, and add streaming mm -hmm. while at the same time moving away from this model? Yeah. You need that person in the, in the meeting you to do. say, excuse me, uh, CEO, what about this? Yeah. I, and actually, Mr. Director? Yeah. To me, there's that, that's almost that entrepreneurial spirit, isn't it? So I think a lot of businesses talk about leadership and management. We all go out and do leadership management courses. But actually, there's something about entrepreneurialism. We need entrepreneurs in our business. And we need to create teams of entrepreneurs who can stand up and challenge people. And I, you know, one of the... One of my favorite management books is The Five Dysfunctions of a Team by Patrick Lencioni. Yes. Uh, and in there, he talks about the fact that, you know, you've got to be able to challenge people in a good way. Because to do that, you've got to have trust. You've got to trust people. And often businesses don't trust. And it's always the leader who shouts loudest, who butts everyone down. So actually, mm -hmm. you've got to have that person who's willing to say, yes, boss, but what about if we did try? What could we do differently? And you hear about these business failures over the last 30, 40, 50 years, or beyond, you know, 100 years, looking at the railroads being put out of business. Actually, some of the view is we need to look at how to challenge that thinking. Because only when you have someone willing to start up and say, hey, what about this? And I think that's one of the things that I, I come up against now in business. 
how do we create that entrepreneurial spirit where right. I'm willing to stand up and challenge my boss because he might yeah. not know all the answers or she might not know all the answers. Right. Right. Well, it's interesting. You had the, we can do this, but the flip side of the coin is saying, you know, I think this is a good idea. Now as a team, let's figure out every way this could potentially fail. Because if we're anticipating what would cause us to fail, we can start building in, okay, well, if it's going to be uh, whatever the reason that they can come up with. Well, we don't want to go with uh, streaming of of movies, say that going back to the blockbuster example. Yeah. uh, Because what if the streaming doesn't work? Well, if it fails, technology will continue improving, but we also still have our foundational business. Yeah. Got two businesses, run two horses. Yeah. Right. I love that. I love that. There's a great point there, actually. So, so, so let's 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 move on to the next point because I I can see the linkage here coming out here. So we've got the trailblazers. They're out there. They've got a roadblock ahead of them. Something's come up in front of them. So talk me about the Z because I think this is where we're actually going to go somewhere different. Okay, uh, the Z for my uh, friends across the pond. The Z for my friends here on the American <laughs> side uh, stands for zigzag. Yeah, I love now, it. That's an interesting concept. Why zigzag? Well, sometimes there are objections or problems that are beyond uh, solving very easily. Yeah. Or if you're a salesperson and somebody tells you no four times, uh, you, you after a while you learn, this person isn't changing. I'm not quite sure why. Maybe he's buying from his brother-in-law and he's not telling me. I don't know. I actually had that happen to me once, by the way. Uh, somebody was buying Somewhere from a relative. I just didn't share that yeah, uh, yeah. as much as I tried. We learn to say, okay, we don't have to overcome or handle 100% of the objections to be successful. We have to learn when to move on. Mm. But sometimes there are barricades thrown in your way. No, decline, not going to do this. You're trying to finance the business. Bank after bank after bank say no. What can you do? If you are, um, actually, let's go with uh, an example you might be familiar with. An author uh, whose book was rejected, I believe it was 13 times. Yeah. Um, and the author was as close to poverty level as one yeah. could be. And she did well afterwards. Yes, <laughs> because we're speaking about the same person here. So yeah. the the publisher of Harry Potter yeah. basically had the manuscript and was like, you know, I don't know that this is the type of thing that we do. Let me give it to my child, to my daughter, and we'll see yeah. what what uh, she thinks well the feedback was this is the best thing i've ever read when's the next one coming out yeah yeah i love it and that's what led to jk Rowling and harry potter finally getting a publisher now if we think about that how many times will we go and bang our head against the wall and people are saying no two times three times Mm -hmm. four Mm -hmm. well she went to 13 different publishers and the lesson here by the way is that sometimes the experts are wrong. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. the people who we trust to have insights that we don't have are blinded by their own yeah. biases. Yeah. It's interesting. I read something about also J.K. Rowling. Why not Joanne Rowling? Because that, that was her name. Well, as I understand it, the publisher said, well, look, this is a book. We see the market as being young boys who are interested in this wizardry and, and, and the schooling, that's, that's our primary market. And right. we don't think they're going to buy a book from a female author. Talk about a bias. So that's why it was J.K. Rowling. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't know that. That's um, but but interesting story, isn't it? Because you, we we know through history of all of those type of people who've got the the same issues. The, the Walt Disney going through to every bank trying to help him get a a, a, a small loan to start off his amusement park idea. You know, from yeah. my perspective, there's lots of people out there who have tried it many times and knocked on many doors. And and, yeah. and interesting, it comes back. You know, this this handing objections. Part of the objection, I think, is when people's own mind. Where they, you know, if I think about those people who give up early, they're the ones who say to themselves, yeah, maybe they're right. Maybe I should have listened to my dad when he said it wouldn't work. Well, you know, he's right after all. And they, they fall into their own trap of objections that they've been told. And that becomes their own objection to building their business. So I'm just I'm just throwing that out there, I think, actually. You're right. You had said one of the definitions of chutzpah early on when we first started our discussion, our conversation uh, was persistence. Yeah. Zigzag is about persistence. Zigzag is about recognizing there are always obstacles in our way. Yeah. By the way, the, the whole zigzag concept came to me. Uh, do you remember a, a video game called Pac-Man? <laughs> wow, that's from the 80s. Yes, I remember that. Okay, so it was one of the earliest video games. Yeah. It's still a classic. But in essence, you had uh, your yellow Pac-Man eating uh, dots yeah. and avoiding these the i think they call them goats yeah goats, I remember that. to get to the next level yeah so the dots gave him strength nourishment and the ability to sometimes go after the goats yeah but you had to zigzag around that board yeah, i love it to get away from those and yeah. if you were successful you moved to the next level where you had another challenge and another challenge and i thought back i was in graduate school at the time i said you know this is kind of like a an interesting uh Color it's a example of life. There, there rarely is a straight path, yeah. and frequently there are issues, legislation, uh, bigger companies, um, competitors that are going to do everything they can to prevent us from getting to the next level. Yeah. But yeah. when you learn to zigzag, or you have that mentality, okay, this is tough. I can't raise money the traditional way. I'm not getting money from, uh, or I've tapped out my family and friends. I'm not getting a bank. Uh, certainly, I'm t I don't have the history yet for VC, mm -hmm. for venture capital. What can I do? Yeah. Well, when I started one of um, my first companies, I was in that situation. And I ended up structuring a deal with a vendor. So I was using a service from the vendor that generated re revenue for me and yeah. revenue for him. Wow. So I structured a loan, not equity, but just debt, and said, look, the revenue that comes in, you'll take a higher piece of the revenue that we generate together to pay off my loan. So uh -huh. you have me as a customer. Yeah. I have the money I need to grow. We both benefit. Yeah, yeah. Lovely story. Lovely story. So it actually shows it in real life of how you found the way of doing it. And that zigzagging is about finding a way forwards. And I love the Pac-Man analogy. It's about finding the way through. Yeah, and and we often talk about in scaling out. We're 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 using the language now, but you know, a river will find its easiest course to the ocean, yes. and and actually, it will find its way around the roadblocks. It will find its way to get there eventually. But it will get there. It will get there. Yeah, Whereas in that's the past, we talk about climbing mountains, but actually, rivers just find their easy. Nature takes its easiest course, and I think that's the that's the interesting key bit there, because you're right. There. River is not going to go through a rock; it'll go yeah. around. Yeah. It might go through, but it'll take a million years, but it will go yeah. there eventually. It will there. Yeah. yeah. So, so let's, let's move on. So, so I think there's something here in that case. Say, 
So, so J.K. Rowling, we, Walt Disney, Elon Musk. I talked before about the guiding light. Let's talk about the P because I think the P really becomes uh, clear here. Because this is, you know, in some ways, if we could rearrange the letters in in chutzpah and put the P at the beginning, this is where I think it starts. But I think you've got to have P there. But so, tell me about P. What this means for you? Because yeah. I've got a big view on this as well. Purpose to me is one of the critical elements for uh, happiness and success in life. I'm not, I'm not talking about business now. It definitely relates to business, but it's about life. Um, having a purpose and purposes can change is critical for getting through the inevitable bad times. Yeah, There will be things that happen to us that are beyond our control. Uh, there is a, a book, Man's Search for Meaning, by uh, yeah. one of my favorite books, a very difficult book to read, mm -hmm. where he speaks, uh, where uh, basically the author, uh, Frankel, speaks about purpose being critical, one of two key factors for why people survive the worst of uh, man's humanity, inhumanity towards yeah. others. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, and purpose was there. Uh, I had an interesting uh, boy presentation a couple of years back. I was speaking to a sales force, uh, a large regional sales force for a team, uh, probably uh, 60 people in the room. And it was their quarterly meeting that they brought me in for uh, to do something a little bit uh, inspirational, motivational. And I was speaking about at the time I called it the chutzpah rules as opposed to the chutzpah advantage. And uh, as they go through the most valuable player and the uh, uh, most valuable rep, the highest gross revenue, uh, most over quota, all these awards to get people excited about, look, hey, congratulations, that was great. Get people pumped up. The last award they got to was that most valuable player or rep for the quarter. And uh, here I am thinking, okay, I'm going on stage in a couple of minutes. But in the back, I heard them say, and this rep achieved something like 106% of quota for the quarter. And that caught my attention because other people had hit 230%, right? The most above. And I thought to myself, whoa, I'm missing something here. And I stopped looking at my notes and I listened. And what I learned was that this rep, uh, about a year before, had been a successful rep but lost his wife to cancer and was raising his two kids by himself. And his sales dropped, the company stuck with him and he came up to speak. And in essence, what helped get him through this terrible period in his life helped, uh, was getting him through, because I can't say that he was done in a year. Uh, that, that lives with you a lot longer in a lot of cases was his purpose. He realized at that point that his purpose had become raising his kids, giving them the foundation they needed because they were right now at a disadvantage with only one parent, with their mother gone. So purpose certainly helps us individually, but purpose also provides, right, that use that North Star, that guiding light for companies. What ultimate, why ultimately are we here? Well, we're here to serve the, the customer. Well, if we do this, is that serving the customer or ourselves? And I'm not talking about being profitable. You can be very profitable while serving the, the customer. Matter of fact, I think that's the most critical element 
yeah. of, yeah. of uh, profitability. I but think it's like either. It's what I'm sorry. I, I say that's the key piece to it, isn't it? It's about understanding yes. your real purposes. I was I was talking to a client this morning about this, about uh, in her role, what's her purpose for what they do, and I won't say what they do because it will give it away. But actually, you know, is it profit or volume? Was the question we were asking. Yeah. And in their in their market, they're not a volume player. They're a they're a they're a niche player who should be focused on that. But I think you have to get really clear on what your profit is, so what your purpose is before you can make those decisions. And that piece about your, you know, the, the guy raising the kids on his own, having a purpose, that's the thing that gets you out there. And I, I come back to it again. And I'm glad you've mentioned Man's Search for Meaning because to me, that's one of my uh, one of my all-time favorite books. It's a very hard read, as you say. But actually, when you look at it there, purpose is critical. Those who believed they'd be finished by Christmas are the ones who died. Those who had a purpose above and beyond were the ones who survived. That's right. And the other interesting piece about Viktor Frankl's book, it says the other critical element is beyond our control, and that's luck. Yeah. So he says, if you had the misfortune, the bad luck of being selected by the guards for the gas chamber or in a guard's path when he was bored and decided to take target practice, yeah. nothing you could do. Yeah. But for those of you who had the good luck to not fall into that bad luck category, that's where purpose and other things came into play yeah. uh, emotionally to help them through. But purpose was a key, key element. So that's why it's important to me in the chutzpah model as well. I see it frequently when speaking to people. Yeah, I love that. It's a really key one in that case. So I wonder in that case, we're, we're, we're looking towards the end of the, the, the chutzpah rules in that case, or the chutzpah advantage. So, so wonder, let's think about the, the A and the H, because I think there's bits in there in terms of where we go. So, so how does the next bit come into it? Ambiguity minimization. Talk to that, because that's, sure. a, that's a mouthful in itself. Yeah, well, um, it is. The A, ambiguity, uh, minimization, or elimination even. Uh, we all have to make decisions. Okay. Leaders have to make uh, sometimes uh, very tough decisions yeah. as to which way to go. Okay. Uh, Jeff Bezos, by the way, who founded Amazon, uh, speaks about a decision-making, a very simple decision-making model that he likes to follow. Uh, there are numerous exceptional decision-making models to help people as they consider options. Yeah. He says, at the simplest level, think of it as a door, a swinging door. Well, it's either swings one way for you to go through it, but then once you're through, you can't go back. Yeah. Or it swings two ways. So you can walk through it and then come back through, like a kitchen door of some yeah. kind. Um, too often, we if we think of uh, decisions as, oh, wow, we're going through this door. If it is an extremely serious decision, one that impacts the future of the company, uh, we mentioned Blockbuster, we're going to forego moving yeah. forward aggressively with uh, streaming video because we don't want to lose the revenue from the late fees. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that was a decision that was treated as almost uh, a one-way door. One -way they door. Went couldn't go back easily. Yeah, yeah. They, they had the option beforehand, but once they committed themselves, they lost their opportunities to develop technology, mm -hmm. to acquire technology. And before you knew it, Netflix was way, way ahead of them. Yeah, yeah. Okay? So that one-way decision, you better think twice because it can be very difficult to get through. Yeah, yeah. Two-way decision is um, if they had said, you know, let's try this out start looking at technology, see about how we might build a plan for our 
our users around the, the world, around the country, at least in the US, and see if we can go subscription and, and what you think about, yeah. um, about the idea of streaming. And yeah. we have both running at the same time. That gives you that two-way flexibility because now you can test. And if something doesn't work, you go back through that door, you change your approach, and then you go through and you yeah. implement it. Yeah. So yeah. the key to making decisions is understanding there's always going to be ambiguity. Mm -hmm. Rarely can we be 100% sure that uh, something is going to happen. Um, sports is a great example. You find the team that is so qualified to win uh, the, the English Football League trophy because they've dominated everybody. I'm going there because I've got a baseball yeah. for them. Um, and they're playing a much weaker team and everybody's wagering uh, on the team that's stronger because on paper, uh, the likelihood that they're going to lose is real slim. Yeah. Well, we all know that they can lose. So what do we do to minimize the ambiguity? Do we look at uh, what would lead to an upset in this scenario? Yeah. Is the team that we know is better on the road? Do they have any injured players? Are they coming off a tough win against a real strong competitor? Maybe they're going to have a letdown. All these things can be factored into the ambiguity yeah. to reach a decision. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Because I think about, you know, a, a lot of time over the last two years with, with the, the, the COVID pandemic and what we're leading to now, you know, we talk about a VACA world, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. And, and from, a, from a point of view of making decisions, if we can minimize the uncertainty by reducing the ambiguity or doing something about it, then we've got a better way to move forward because actually it's going to be volatile. It's going to be complex. But how do we minimize the uncertainty? And actually by minimizing or eliminating the ambiguity, you make your job easier. You've got a narrower target to aim at. Yes, and a greater probability of success in the long term. You'll still make mistakes. We yeah. get that. But you make enough decisions that the good decisions, yeah. when done properly, will more than outweigh. And yeah. actually, I like uh, ambiguity reduction. That's yeah. actually easier. It flows off my tongue better. But the advantage of minimization, I think it's the only five-syllable word I use in my book. <laughs> I love it. It's the hardest word to pronounce when you get the two of them together. I love that. So, so this is the final one. Okay, Let, let's let's lead into the first one because I think um, there's something here about this final one, which I think is something that everybody who's successful has to some degree. You have to have this next piece because if you haven't got it, when you do have a fall, it's going to be harder. And part of building your business up is actually being able to manage these things. So, I wonder how, from your perspective, do you think we deal with that next one, that final piece, the H? Right. The final, the final letter, the second H in the chutzpah, uh, stands for humility. Now, a lot of people say humility. Do you really need humility for chutzpah? If anything, you need to be a bit more arrogant, uh, overly confident, self-confident. You've got to exude your certainty. Where does humility come into play? Well, we know that a lot of the best leaders, I don't want to say all, because they're people who are successful without humility. But this is one of those that I believe, and the research shows, create more loyal teams, mm -hmm. stronger teams, and that benefits you particularly in longevity. If people stay with you or stay with your company because your leadership makes a difference, yeah, it's important. Yeah. You know, uh, I wasn't going to use this example, but you just made me think of it. 
um, about coming up on, I think, six months when uh, Russia attacked Ukraine. Okay. okay. Now, this wasn't all that much past when, uh, and I'm speaking from the U.S. perspective, mm. when we saw in Afghanistan the Taliban uh, moving closer to taking Kabul and taking yeah. control of the government. Mm. Well, in Afghanistan, I guess the U.S. intelligence said they can hold off for several weeks against the Taliban. But what happened was their leaders fled the capital and basically Kabul was run, overrun in days, really yeah. hours. Yeah. It ended. Okay. Now let's contrast that. This time, U.S. intelligence said, oh boy, Russia is going to control this in a matter of days. Ukraine mm -hmm. will not be able to withstand Russians, Russia's military. Well, here we are, and we're coming up, I believe, on six months now. Mm, 28th February, yeah. Where Ukraine is still holding its own. They're losing territory, but you have not had this collapse that a lot of people expected. And why do I think, well, what is one of the reasons for that? Well, we know that the president of Ukraine basically went offered the opportunity to set up his government in uh, elsewhere, in mm. a safe country, it's and run good. from there. Yeah. Basically, the response was something to the effect of, I don't need a ride, I need ammunition. Yeah. I'm staying. Yeah. Well, what does that say to the team? Yeah. When when the leader says, hey, I'm like you, I'm in the trenches with you. I'm not asking you to do something that I would not do. Yeah. That's humility. Yeah. Humility also includes for leaders accepting responsibility when you're wrong. Mm -hmm. So if there is an error saying, OK, I made a decision that hasn't worked out. We're going to backtrack now. OK. My apologies, my error. Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna correct now, and we're gonna be stronger for it. Yeah. As opposed to that same leader saying, oh "My God, we're in trouble. Who can I fire? Who can I blame?" Yeah. Hate it together. When you accept, right. When you accept the responsibility for your decisions, yeah. as opposed to um, only uh, claiming uh, genius when something goes right. Yeah. Like there's an old expression. Uh, I think it's a. Uh, Success has a thousand fathers and failure is an orphan. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, yeah. Nobody wants to take responsibility for the failure. Well, humility says, yes, it's okay to take responsibility because you have chutzpah and you know that failure is part of the game. Yeah. It's part of the life that we all live. Yeah. So interesting, isn't it, to, to end on that point because I think that's the key, isn't it? So as we talk through those things, carpe diem, handle objections, uncover the needs, trailblaze zigzag purpose minimize or reduce ambiguity and then the humility so there's, there's some real nuggets there in terms of those eight steps as you take us through that journey of what what chutzpah means but actually when you relate it to to business to life to society politics you can see actually there's people out there who have this already they have that chutzpah and actually when you look at what you've created there and those that eight steps you can learn to do things differently in each one of those if you choose to as well. So there's other ways of doing it. So I think there's a lovely model there that, that you've created over the years. Um, here's a question for you. And I know we're, we're coming to the end of what we've got to talk about now, but um, if you were to go back in time with what you now know about Hutzpah and where you've been, 
what would you wish or what would you say to yourself or give to yourself that would enable you to get that advantage that you now see? Uh, well, first thing comes to mind, I probably would have asked Sarah to prom instead <laughs> of waiting to get asked by somebody else. I love that. But that gets to the key. And that is that it's okay to be told no, we're going to recover. It's okay to fail in a lot of cases. We're going to recover if our mm. mindset is right. But stretching our boundaries, taking more risks, mm. brings more opportunities, potentially a lot more joy. And yeah. maybe Sarah would have said yes to me. Who knows? Right? Mm. So stretching boundaries is what I'd recommend. That's what yeah, I would have yeah. changed. Growing yeah. up, I would have stretched more boundaries. Yeah. I would have spoken up more. Uh, yeah. I wouldn't have worried about what other people thought. Mm. or if they were making fun of me behind my back that's interesting so. i think that's an interesting that 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 comes as maturity doesn't that wisdom that you've got there because i think um i think a lot of people if i was to ask many of the entrepreneurs i've spoken to about what they would do differently a lot of it is that same thing it's about getting out and doing stuff and 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 not being worried about what other people thought because often we stop ourselves we don't seize the day because we're worried about what other people might think of us and in some ways, you only have one chance. Just get on and do it is the key. So I love yeah. that as a, as a piece there. I, I, we're going to come to an end now. So how do people find you? I've got the details here, but tell us, how can people find The Chutzpah Guy? Um, I do have a website. It's the thechutzpahguy.com. Yeah. Uh, I'm easily findable on LinkedIn. Okay. And LinkedIn has more of my, actually, my interviews, my videos, uh, and also a lot of my writing. The, uh, the articles or the occasional posts that I do where something comes to mind uh, about chutzpah. Yeah. Uh, and those show up frequently. And I, and I would say, you know, that's, that's an area where I found lots of your videos and YouTubes and TV interviews are on there as well. So anyone who's listening to this, go and check that out. There's some, there's some right. good, good, good resource in there. Right. And if people connect with me on LinkedIn and they want to speak, I'm always happy to have a conversation. Uh, I'll somehow find a way to fit in some time so we can uh, uh, learn from each other. I love that. Yeah. So, Mason, thank you very much. The Hutzpah guy, this has been a fascinating conversation. You know, this is this is the, the third or fourth time we've talked. And I remember hearing you back in Dallas back in April. Uh, and this has put more meat onto the bones of the of the, the Hutzpah uh, framework that you've created. And I love it. And there's some really powerful things there. So thank you very much. Well, um, I appreciate it. And I look forward to carry on these conversations in the future. Yeah, and I sincerely appreciate the opportunity. I hope we brought value. I'm, I'm sure we brought value to your audience and hopefully they can they can use the takeaways in their lives and their businesses and look forward to working with you again down the road. Yeah, looking forward to it. Thank you. And as I always say to the audience, you know, at the end of the day, I can't hold them accountable to what they're doing, but actually you've got some key information here, which I think is some really powerful pieces. And I've just, I've taken loads of notes as I always do when I'm doing these podcasts. We will create the show notes that go with it so people can read that and pick up more information. There'll be links to the books that we've talked about, uh, links to your book, The Coats for Advantage as well. So people can check into that as well, um, which they can buy on Amazon because I've seen that there as well. So, so get out and check that out um, and feel free to connect with the Hutzpah guy, Mason Harris. It's been wonderful to talk to you. Thank you. Yes. Thank you again, Phil. I appreciate it. Be well and we'll speak again soon. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast as much as I've enjoyed recording it. This is just one of the great conversations I've had the privilege of being part of since I started recording the Sparks Bagenian podcast. So please 
go back and listen to some of the others. There's some great content in there, some great contributors. And also, while you're at it, please leave a review of this show with your comments, because that helps other people like you find this content. And we want to bring about the change that we really know matters to people. It helps us grow. And also, think about what actions you want to take, because there's no point just listening passively. We want you to pick it up and do something with it. So what are the three key things you want to do? I can't hold you accountable, but if you want to, drop me a note, phil at igniumconsult.com. We're always keen to listen to what you have to say and actually introduce guests to us that you think will bring relevance to other people. We wish you well. Give us a call. Let us know what you think. Give us a review. Thank you.